0: When a true genius appears in the world you may know him by the sign that the dunces are all in confederacy against him. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information within to extract some themes you might not have thought of and to just have a good laugh every now and then. Indeed, we do have A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. So this book was published in 1980 and it's about 400 pages in length, took me about seven hours to get through in total. It's a picaresque novel of a fat delusional man named Ignatius J. Riley, who lives in 1960s New Orleans in a dilapidated old house with his mother. And basically through some external circumstances, they are forced to make some repayments, which they cannot do. And so he's kicked out and he has to go get a job. So we see his wanderings around the New Orleans bad areas of trying to find a job in a clothing manufacturer as a hot dog vendor and also trying to incite riots and kind of overturn the New World Order and things like this. So he's... Joined by a cast of other kind of eclectic characters, we have Minx Minkoff, Minkoff, who was his um, university friend from back in the day. We have the vagrant Negro, Negro Jones. We also have patrolman Mancuso, who was abused by the police force. We have the very senile old Miss Trixie and the rich and also delusional Mrs. Levi and Mr. Levi and a whole bunch of others as well. So it's very much a story of this kind of bombastic rogue in a corrupt world as he's trying to find his way and as he's uh, meeting people and interacting with others. So there's 14 chapters in total and all of these are kind of mini stories within these kind of mini chapters which all connect to form this grand narrative of Ignatius mostly but also of these other characters and what they're up to. Now, on to the author, J.K. Toole, John Kennedy Toole. He was born in 1937, died in 1969. And he himself was much of a troubled wanderer. Uh, he seemed to be a, a professor, a very witty guy, but also was kind of unappreciated. And so he committed suicide at the age of 31. And this book itself was a posthumous publication and really only came out, I think, about 11 years after his death. So, yeah, it was a, a kind of a sad story, but also... Uh, leading into, I suppose, our our first theme, which is a social misfit, someone that fits badly. So I'm going to try and give you a description of Ignatius because I think this will set the scene for, for what this book is really about. So physically, he is this morbidly obese fat guy, you know, hundreds of kilos, wears this green hunting cap wherever he goes, uh, dressed slovenly, doesn't take take care of his personal appearance, uh, has intestinal issues and is always talking about his valve and his kind of bloating nature that he's always feeling. Mentally, he's very educated. Uh, he has a degree in medieval philosophy, I, be, I believe, or history. And he's also very verbose. So he has this eclectic stream of just words coming out of him, these hilarious insults from the olden days. And he also has this kind of grandiose nature. He believes he is this. Amazing person. Uh, Behaviorally wise, he's supercilious, so he does believe he's better than everyone else. He's confident, uh, and he's also extremely lazy. So we kind of get this. Big mix of him, and then when we see his actions out in the world, joining these different hot dog carts, and you know, trying to organize a rally and things like this, he is very, very silly. So I'm going to jump now onto page 123 just so we can get a a feel for him. And he's he's somewhat of a writer as well. So he's writing this this big diatribe which he intends to send for a publication or something like this. And he's talking about how he has this kinship with the colored race, with the Negroes of the time, and how he was you know, just uh, not going to fit in where he was at. And so we go here. Uh, The agitation would take the form of many protest marches, complete with the traditional banners and posters. But these would say, in the middle class, the middle class must go. I would say... I am not above tossing a small Molotov cocktail or two either. In addition, I would studiously avoid sitting near the middle class and lunch counters and on public transportation, maintaining the intrinsic honesty and grandeur of my being. If a middle class white were suicidal enough to sit next to me, I imagine that I would beat him soundly about the head and shoulders with one great hand, tossing quite deadlyly one of my Molotov cocktails into a passing bus, jammed with middle-class whites with the other hand. Whether my siege were to last a month or a year, I am certain that ultimately everyone would let me alone after the eternal carnage and destruction of property had been evaluated. (laughs) So this guy is definitely living in his own world and he is very much a misfit. And so this is fun, uh, kind of fun getting into the definitions of this because in one of the latest book reviews, I was talking about nonconformists, and uh, this was in Canary Row, and how you have these people who kind of live outside of society that don't particularly fit in. And whilst you could say uh, Ignatius is, is a nonconformist, I, I prefer the word misfit because there's this element of being uncomfortably conspicuous. Wherever he goes, he is the center of attention. You cannot not notice him he is ridiculously dressed in his pirate outfit when he's doing this hot dog vending thing just sheer physical size he is so large that people have to take notice of him that everything he does is is loud is confident is over the top and also delusional so you get this real weird mix of someone who you you just kind of have to take notice of and not in a good way it's not for good qualities and so this funnily enough somewhat seems to resemble the author and he did take parts of his own experiences this is um, jk tool of he he did work in a, a hot dog vendor of some sort he did uh, you know work in a clothing manufacturer and he seemed to have this very extroverted life but also wanting to maintain privacy which is somewhat at conflict and so parts of him were certainly in into this book and why you can kind of see why he might have committed suicide at such a young age as as feeling like a misfit um, and not and not kind of being appreciated for for his works, which uh, whilst aren't aren't that great. You know, he's written he's written two books, and when I mean great in terms of volume, he only wrote two books. This being one of them, and it, it, people noticed he's his kind of genius, but they were also he's he stuck out. He stuck out like a sore thumb. And so he was someone that fits badly within society. He was a social misfit. And I think it is this combination of things, of this uh, extroverted but private, of if we take it, Ignatius's case, he is an extreme slob who also bemoans the corrupt society that he is in. He has these grandest aspirations of writing, of becoming the director of this Uh, party which will you know rival the democrats or the the be a huge thing in the political sphere and he's also working as a hot dog vendor (laughs) he goes to levi's pants and he seems to love this area this company but then he will sabotage it for for no good reason and it will try and create social unrest amongst the workers and it's very humorous it's very humorous to see all of these things but you can definitely say okay yeah he is a social misfit and you know what consequences this will have we'll we'll find out in a second which will get us on to the next theme which is delusion a protection against life so we see with the Molotov uh, cocktail example above that he's obviously delusional he, th- he thinks he has physical capabilities beyond of what he actually has he thinks that he can do things beyond what he can do he thinks I don't think he thinks that people love him but he he certainly has these beliefs that he will rise to an amazing station in life and that people would then recognize him. So it's very funny as as it progresses you see his delusions get even greater and and what he talks about even greater and this progresses as the book progresses and so it's not just him others seem to notice this this delusion that he has and this grandeur and they'll kind of call him out on it a little bit. In particular, we have the minks, uh, Mina Minkoff. And so jumping onto page 182 and 183, she sent him a letter from New York and she's kind of trying to psycho- psychoanalyze him. And so she says... I hope that you're working on your personality problems, Ignatius. Is the paranoia getting any worse? The basis for the paranoia, I think, is the fact that you're always sealed up in that room and have become suspicious of the outside world. I don't know why you insisted on living way down there with the alligators. In spite of the complete overhaul that your mind is crying for, you have a brain that could really grow and flower here in NY. As it is, you're thwarting yourself and your mentality. The last time I saw you when I was passing through from Mississippi, you were in pretty bad shape. You've probably regressed completely by now, living in that substandard old house with only your mother for company. Aren't your natural impulses crying for release? A beautiful and meaning love affair would transform you, Ignatius. I know it would. Great Oedipus bonds are encircling your brain and destroying you. So we definitely see this, this kind of, delusion is is being noticed but also that there is a kind of gem within it that it's not totally based on on unrealities but she is like are you paranoid okay you're definitely you know I I want to look out for you you're stuck in this old crappy house with your mom and you have great potential but you're delusional if you think that things are going to change where you are and so what what happens as the book progresses as as we see these delusions played out in the real world. Well, it declines. His his state, his being, uh, everything that happens to him, it kind of becomes more negative. So he tends to get crappier jobs. Uh, He tends to get more abuse from people out on the street, of people... Uh, wanting to kind of harm or abuse him or take advantage of him, uh, he faces some you know potential legal re- repercussions for his words and his libel that he was doing uh, in, uh, closer to the start of the book, uh, and then finally there's this kind of betrayal where his own mother decides I've, I can't deal with him anymore. I'm going to lock him up in a, a kind of insane asylum or a kind of you know a ward for people who have psychological problems and. She's encouraged to do this by basically everyone. So we see his delusions aren't aren't having a great effect for him. And thankfully, right at the end, he kind of escapes. But this is where I guess it's not all fun. So the book is really interesting in the, in the certain aspect that as you're reading through, it's hilarious. It's all of these funny things are going on. You, you, it's hard to believe that someone can be this ridiculous, this delusional. And yet here it is. And this is how it's playing out in the world. What... Is what happens at the end though is it's kind of a slap in the face and we see this when Mr. Levi is going to try and sort out these issues that he's ha- having caused by Ignatius for- forging his signature and basically insulting someone who he does business with and this person is angry and he's trying to, trying to kind of fix this up and so he goes to uh, Ignatius's house where he's with his mother and this is where I guess some like stark reality is starting to jump in. And this is really only in the last kind of 30 pages, the last 10% of the book. And so he, he meets Ignatius and he meets his mother and then he's going, okay, you know, oh, oh, is, is this the guy who kind of screwed me over? Is this guy who uh, I, I, I need to, you know, accost and, and see, okay, is, is he is he responsible, I guess? And so we get this. Don't hit him, Mr. Levi said. The kook's head was already bandaged. Outside of the prize-fighting ring, violence made Mr. Levi ill. This Riley kook was really pitiful. The mother ran around with some old man, drank, wanted the son out of the way. She was already on the police blotter. That dog was probably the only thing that kook had ever really had in his life. Sometimes you have to see a person in his real environment to understand him. In his own way, Riley had been very interested in Levi Levi Pants. Now, Mr. Levi was sorry that he had fired Riley. The cook had been proud of his job at the company. Just let him alone, Mrs. Riley. We'll get to the bottom of this. And so we kind of see, even though everything was kind of funny up into this point, this is where you're going like, oh, okay, you know, he does have a mother who kind of abuses him and and you know talk bad to him and doesn't kind of help him in in meaningful and productive ways he has lived in this place all of basically all of his own on all of his life and he doesn't really have friends he doesn't socialize he doesn't get out the times that he has tried to have been not so great for him and so you kind of do feel a little bit of pity for him at the end and you're going oh geez okay maybe it isn't all kind of funny and it's you know all of his fault and it's his personality defects. It's maybe not just all of him. A large part of it is, for sure. And you can't just blame everything on other people. But certainly, there's a little aspect to this where you go, okay, this delusion that he has, maybe it's kind of a protection against life. You know, maybe his life sucks so much that he needs to believe that he is this amazing person, that he has all the answers, that people don't recognize his genius. And and this is at least saves him from depression, which we never really see in the book. He always is very confident in himself, and so you could kind of say, like, well, you know, this delusion probably helps him in some ways, and certainly is better than him being depressed about his scenario, which is very unfortunate. He's a fat guy, you know, super unhealthy, living with a kind of disciplined, de- demonic mother, I guess, in a say, like so domineering is probably a better word. Or who has no friends? Who uh, you know has no useful skills and is unappreciated yeah okay you know what maybe a bit of delusion maybe is helping him here so those were the the two themes that i really took away from this book my own observations and takeaways one of the funniest things is i've met a guy who's kind of like Ignatius. it happened on a random day when i was doing handstands out in the south bank area here in brisbane this guy comes up to me overweight not not hundreds of kilos but certainly you know 110 hundred and something uh, a big guy who was delusional he, he thought he could handstand at my kind of level at at uh, you know with no training with no practice who had these aspirations of owning houses and big fancy cars and buying things for his family who was going to do this by creating a product of ice cream mixed with a protein shake and selling it to the companies and they could do all the work and then he would just earn royalties off of it. You know, there are people like Ignatius in this world. <laughs> there's there's no doubt of it. And the craziest thing I suppose is that you know, what what comes from this from me. You know, I didn't enjoy speaking to this guy and it is kind of sad to see how much of Tool's life JK Tool the author Kind of resembled Ignatius, and you know, this is just me gaining it from Wikipedia. I don't, I don't know him deeply. I I could never know him deeply. He's dead, but there are these aspects where you go, okay, you know, even though it's kind of funny in the book, it's sad. It's sad to see, and uh, it 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 kind of gives you a bit of pity for these people as well. And and going, okay, you know, even if they are delusional, even if maybe some of their actions impact me upon the world, you know, I, I kind of had to spend two hours chatting with this guy when i didn't really want to the the ask, in the end of it you go okay maybe there's there's a reason why they're delusional maybe there is a reason why they're they're kind of a social misfit and it's better to have like a little bit of pity for them i think rather than um, any other sort of reaction uh, onto the actual style wise of the book as well my last observation was i'm, I'm glad he broke it up into these little mini chapters which didn't have Ignatius in them. It would focus on Patrolman Mancuso and how he was being forced to wear uh, all sorts of ridiculous outfits and to stay in this bathroom trying to capture you know, suspicious characters and things like this uh, and it almost working out for him. There are these like really funny little side portions which keep the book progressing, I think, because if you read too much of just Ignatius, I think it would... It would become overwhelming too much at the end. It would become a bit, a bit uh, repetitive. So it was nice to have all of these other little characters who were side characters for sure, helping progress the story and and giving Ignatius his time to shine when it, <laughs> when it was really time. And and M- Mina's letters as well, are hilarious. they they're probably my favorite part of the book. Her psychoanalysis of him is well, magnificent. So in summary, only a dunce wouldn't find this funny. Uh, I only covered a couple of the anecdotes of the wonderful mishaps of Ignatius, and there's so much more to, to contain within and, and things to laugh at. Uh, it's definitely a person who is much more fun in print than in the actual world. So if you did meet a character like him who is delusional, who is such a social misfit, you know, it might not be as funny as you would kind of get from this book. But there you have it, you know, that's just the way it goes. Uh, It does sort of lack the cutting deep nature that some other books similar to this like Catch-22 have, which have a real stand. There is no real kind of point to this book. But if you want to laugh, I would definitely say this is a a good recommendation for that. So A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. I'm getting a very solid 7.5 out of 10. Check it out. Have a laugh. And that is it for today, my Memo Lies. Thank you for joining me to the end of this audio. What are your thoughts on JK Tool, on a Confederacy of Dunces, on Ignatius, on self-delusion, on social misfits? Uh, I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is by sending in a Boostergram. So Boostergram is a message you can send directly within the podcasting app that you're listening via If you have a good one, go to newpodcastapps.com and choose one of the ones which have value there. And to do this, you need to have a small portion of Bitcoin that you send along with it. And this is how the message gets through to me and as a way of supporting the channel at the same time. Uh, I always read out these messages at the end of month book recaps. I thank you profusely for that. This is a value for value podcast. Everything I do here, I do free of value right up front for you. You can tune in as much or as little as you want. All I ask is that you just return that in some shape or form. So by telling another friend, so i giving a recommendation of books that I should read, of ways I can improve the podcast, of themes that you've taken out from this, additional commentary, all of these sorts of things, uh, ways that I can explain better and, and analyze deeper. I would love all of these sorts of things. And all of that is providing value back to me. So with all of that being said, I do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. I hope your valve is not being closed as we speak. And until the next time, ciao for now. Karen. out.